New Photic Realm announcement. Uh, submission windows for upcoming issues. Issue 10, the theme is justice. That's hard-boiled fiction with a supernatural twist. The deadline for that will be April 1st, 2020. Issue 11, the theme is kaiju. Giant monsters terrorizing civilization. Deadline will be October 1st, 2020 for those stories. Issue 12, the theme is lycanthropy, which is, of course, self-explanatory. Um, it can be any type of animorph with a bloody twist. Uh, so I guess that's werewolves and Jesus, giant, I don't know. What do people turn into? Seals? I've just got a little seal on my desk, so I thought of that. I don't know. You have to be more imaginative than I just was. Uh, but the deadline for lycanthropy, January 1st, 2021. Good luck to everyone submitting. I wrote this thing. I hope you like it. Let's talk about it, yeah. Let's lose track. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Talking to Leo My guest today is Frank Edler. He's been a guest on the podcast before. Uh, he runs the Bazong podcast. And so what we did this time, as we did last, is I was a guest on his podcast first, and then he was a guest on mine. Um, so you can check out my chat with him. Uh, I'll make sure there's a link in the description for that. And uh, our chat was about his latest release, which is called Catcoin. It's about Bitcoin, uh, the story of Bitcoin told through cats. Uh, he also recently released Scatterbrain, and uh, it sounds like he's got much more uh, cool stuff to come. So I hope you enjoy our chat. If you want to get in touch with me, you can always do so using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Um, but that's all for me for the intro, so here is my chat with Frank Edler. I want. I wanted to know who your favorite guests are on the podcast. Do you have people that you you look forward to talking to in particular? Um, you know, yeah. I always like talking to new people. Really, especially, I like talking to new people because uh, you don't know where you're getting gonna get in the end. And sometimes it may start off. I, I noticed this a lot. Like it'll start off rough. The the people are nervous. Not everybody does a podcast week after week, so there's a yeah. nervous of it and when when i get that person that i know is nervous and i'm trying to trying to ask questions to get a little more out of them they're they're being short in their answers and then 10 minutes usually it takes about 10 15 minutes in and all of a sudden now they're opening up they're comfortable they realize we're just having a conversation this isn't like they're on the tonight show with johnny carson and it's going to make or break their career and mm -hmm. and their answers start becoming a little longer and, and, and more detailed and they're just comfortable and rambling. And that that's, that's when I got the win there and, and I'm getting interesting uh, a conversation out of people, which is essentially what I want. Um, but as far as like return guests, I always, you know, everybody, 
I won't say everybody hates me for it because I don't really get bad feedback. But whenever Kevin Strange is on, he's a fantastic guest. He's an mm-hmm. interesting fellow. Um, he's always full of energy. He's always excited about whatever it is he's he's doing and promoting. And I think, I mean, the man's gone from uh, writing books and, and he kind of got shunned from like the bizarro scene. So um, instead of fighting it, he switched and he started making comic books and just... I mean, completely from scratch. He he learned how to draw them, and and he's he's writing them. He's doing top to bottom, all him. I think. I mean, kudos. Whether people hate him or I mean, that's kudos. That's really a lot of people who want to do comic books. They want to either just write them and then get an artist, or their artist, and they may need a writer. Uh, he's doing it all himself, and and he and he's made it happen. Uh, that's exciting. And just recently, I mean, he's put it on hold now, but he's made like a a um, a card game essentially like mm-hmm. a, a magic the gathering type card game again completely 100% all him he did all the artwork he did all the game design play testing um so when he comes on and t- talks about that he's super excited about it it's new and it's kind of different too i'm not always talking uh books with him because he's moved away from books so um i, I know he can be a polarizing figure but um i don't allow any of his i shouldn't even say allow i we just don't get into the the vitriol that he can, you know, tend to spark off with people. We don't, we don't go there. And so I think we have very good constructive uh, and energetic, entertaining conversations. So I do look forward to him a lot on the show. Um, mm-hmm. I look forward to people. I just recently had Garrett Cook on. I love talking to Garrett Cook. He's sort of a, I don't know, a, a an upper echelon figure, shall we say, in the, in the Bizarro. You know, he's been there in, mm-hmm. out in Portland. And, and in the scene for so long, and he has a lot of influence. He he edits a lot, a great deal of books in, in the bizarre genre. So uh, every time you talk to him, it's very um, uh, interesting and educational to talk to him. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but there's, I think it's it's not so much you know those people I look forward to talking to. I I I look more forward to talking to new people. Hmm. Um, it's funny because when I asked that question, I figured you were going to say Kevin Strange because I've listened to those conversations <laughs> and they are super interesting. You know, like yeah, I'm 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 always up for listening to those. Um, yeah, I, and I, I I had a a, a podcast pre Bazong, and he was like when he was working with Don Noble at the time when they first started Strange House, like uh, we we interviewed them and you know I immediately. So like he's a great as as somebody who does a podcast, he's just great to interview because you can ask a question and he'll go on for a half hour. And then so it's just <laughs> life easy as a as a podcaster in that way, too. Um, but, you know, this is before people even like, you know, he he, he kind of became a, a hated figure uh, in the bizarre or bizarro genre. So uh, mm-hmm. like I've always glommed on to, to him as a, an entertaining figure uh, to talk to. But even when he was getting when he was being a uh, a negative figure in the you know I t- I talked to him I tried to I tried to like keep him away from that and I cuz I I still think he's an interesting person for that and I thought you know I might catch a lot of shit from having him on and get ostracized myself but the fact of the matter was um he's always high high rated show he gets <laughs> the hate list is mm-hmm. obvious. um that's undeniable but I, I, nobody ever came back to me and said, you're a dick. Well, one person has in, in, <laughs> in the world. Um, but 
for the most part, I've had more people just like sending me messages like that was really cool of you to have him on. Um, it was it was awesome that, you know, you guys were able to talk about something other than the negative stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly kudos for having him on and and, and carrying on those different conversations. So, um, yeah, as long as I wasn't seeing real negative stuff um, that was affecting like my listening audience, I, I just kept going because I just think he's a, a genuinely entertaining and fun guest to have on. Mm. It's, it's like the message of every good story is that people are complex. And it's the thing that we hate to admit, I think. Just like, oh, God, no, please make make them not complex. Make me a good guy. Make them all bad guys. That, that would be so much easier. You're like, sorry, that's not how it works. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, well, this was my next question, actually. Um, and I don't, I don't, the last, like, I have no interest in drama. And the last thing I want to do is, is invite any, but do you find it difficult to avoid drama? It, it, uh, you know, when, when there was a lot of drama going on with the, the bizarre stuff and especially like, um, when the Kevin strange was, was stirring up the, the pot there and everybody was up in arms about him, uh, Jeremy Maddox, you know, he, he was adding to it too. I, I really, it just turned me off. Like, I'm not going to tell you that I enjoyed Kevin strange doing that. Cause I didn't, I thought he was behaving poorly. I thought a lot of people were behaving poorly on both sides mm-hmm. of the, um, and I didn't, I didn't want to be a muckraker, you know, I didn't want to bring that into Bazong and, and, and make a thing out of it that, you know, Kevin Strange himself made, you know, podcasts all about it, just nothing but mudslinging and stuff and, and other mm-hmm. podcasts had sort of covered it. And I, I just thought it was ugly to do, to bring attention to the controversy. It, I think it only escalated it, putting the spotlight on it for a while. And I just didn't want to be a part of that. So I ignored it. Um, but when it came to the last year's Bizarro Con and, and the incident with Chandler Morrison and and everything mm. that came that, I, I I couldn't be quiet any longer because especially when it came to the stuff with uh, Chandler Morrison, I just thought it was flat out wrong what what how he was treated, um, completely wrong how he was treated and uh, and we touched on it a little bit when in our Bazong show you had touched on the the sort of public shaming that he had to go through for really mm. no good. You know, it was just something that blew out of proportion. Uh, the pot boiled over and and more people became part of the conversation than there ever should have been part of the conversation. And, mm-hmm. and he was in a dark space. And I felt like I was one of the few people like saying everybody is wrong. Everybody is wrong with this guy. And, you know, I was really worried for him because he was he's a genuinely nice guy. And, and when I got to interview him after the fact uh, of all that stuff, I mean, he was still apologetic and I was, I was moved by that, you know, him basically apologizing. Like I didn't mean to do that. And I genuinely feel sorry. He felt worse for, you know, Jeff Burke losing his position at dead. than than anything he went through. And I'm like, I, I don't know how you, how you have that composure to just genuinely be apologetic because I would be so mad at the world uh, for treating me like that. So I was moved mm. by his action. And I think in the end, um, when everything, when all the dust cleared and settled um, and, and people started realizing um, like he really was not at fault and, and people had blown things out of proportion and, and misrepresented what he'd done and, and people started to rally around him and, and pick up his books, um, you know, and he turned, he turned that around and I don't 
you know, I think he's better for it nowadays, you know? Mm-hmm. I saw that the this this book that caused all the controversy is getting released soon. Yes, yeah, Dead Inside. Dead Inside has been, man, it's been, that book's been on a longer road than maybe Chandler Morrison's been on. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he did the reading from that book, and and it was, it was supposed to be, it was contracted with Deadite uh, after the reading, and everything blew up. They canceled his contract, um, but then Jeff Burke went and started his own press, and, and he was going to publish it with the Section 31. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but it somehow got passed off from, from Section 31 to now uh, Death's Head Press. Is, it'll be out, uh, I believe, April 1st is the, the release date. No joke, as they say. Mm. Nice. Um, it just seems like in, like... Uh, I don't know, subcultures or like weird cultures or something that probably on account of the influence of social media, they they do, they, they just find somebody every now and then to, to trash. I've seen it like countless times on Twitter and people I don't even know anything about. And then suddenly they've committed this tiny transgression and they get absolutely hounded by people on account of it. It's happening. Just it's like people aren't in control of that happening anymore. And, um, I've always, I'll probably have to cut what I would say about it is that like, I don't think I want the benefits of a community compared to how how devastating that kind of thing is. I would rather just not be considered part of any community at all, um, rather than, than be considered part of a community that could dismiss me in such a terrible way like that, because I, I just don't want to be held accountable for 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 the types of things that people get cast out of their communities for because of that does that make sense yeah no it makes it makes a hundred percent sense and um and even trying to to be uh, somebody on the sidelines and vocal against the the general consensus when somebody's being basically publicly shamed and, and and slammed like that uh like chandler morrison um you you worry that if you come out and say no that's bullshit um that you'll you'll wind up you know getting railroaded too in the end like oh this jerk's mm. that he must be that you know it's a concern um and it, it, a lot of times too it's why i kept it off bazong those those controversies and i just i don't know what it was you know i i guess when i brought it up on bazong finally that that particular incident uh when i generally kept those things off of the podcast it was because i thought it was just so wrong and there was a lot of things going on with bizarro that i thought was going wrong and i thought i was at that point i thought i was genuinely doing a disservice uh to the genre that i love mm-hmm. to by not saying anything wrong i had issues with um with the the books that were being nominated for the the wonderland year awards i had issues with that i had issues with you know how people were treated in the end at uh, at Bizarro Con. There there were a number of issues I had, and I, I thought if I don't say something, it will continue. And you know, I know I do have a voice and a, a certain amount of of influence because of the people that listen to the show. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought it was finally time to just speak my displeasure uh, with the things I saw that were probably not doing the genre. Um, the, the right service and, and, and casting him in the wrong image. And, and to that credit uh, afterwards, like I did, you know, spoke my displeasure about uh, which books were or were not being nominated. You know, they always said 
this is every Bizarro book that came out in year X and, and mm-hmm. in that particular year, I think it was 2019. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, from what I'm looking at, there's quite a, quite a number of books missing and, and nihilism revised included, I think were completely off the list. And I'm like, that's kind of wrong. And I know they had a, a controversial author that they had signed a book and subsequently they never released the book. They cut the author, like they did the right thing, but they were still, Oh yeah. They, they, they still sort of got ignored because of that. And I thought that was really wrong because their nihilism revised from the jump was really putting out great transgressive works that really should have been, you know, whether they make the final ballot or not is, is inconsequential. They should be recognized for what they're contributing uh, to the genre, whether it's bizarre or adjacent, you know, I, I was, I was incensed. There's no nihilism revised. And yet there were straight horror books on there. They're like nothing. There were straight horror on the list just because the, the author essentially had written in the past, like bizarre adjacent books. And that was, I thought that was a disservice. Like you can't say this is everything and it's not everything. Um, and I didn't even want to like blame them for like maybe blacklisting or snubbing a, a particular press or, or book. Um, I think there was just oversight uh, more than anything. I really believe is just oversight because bizarre mm. itself has grown just bigger than everybody is capable of managing that, that manages whatever, you know, bizarro con is or the wonderland year of the wards. Um, so they, but in the end they did come back and, and this past year they made it a point to ask me, uh, uh, you know, what, what books I thought should be included so they, they could build up a bigger list. I know, uh, Gabino Iglesias put out on, on Twitter and Facebook, what books do you all, you know, just kind of crowdsource that list. And I think that in the end, they got a more robust and, and genuine list of, of what was out there that was, Bizarro, bizarro, Jason for the Wonderland nominations. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've talked to Stephen on your podcast before, right? Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah, I'm sure I've listened to those chats before. How could you not hear what that guy has to say and not understand that this is some incredibly passionate guy who can't wait to put out a whole ton of the most interesting and weirdest stuff I've ever read, I think, you know? Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's existed in the underground, like he prefers to be in the underground and it, it's, you know, it almost seems like he's hesitant to, you know, be as, as um, prolific as he is with the, the, the press nowadays. And especially after, you know, they had that issue with the one author, but, uh, mm-hmm. and, and yet he continues to, to grow the, the press and, and, uh, and just put out great book after book by, um, by authors that really a lot of people aren't aware of until they get on to, to nihilism revised. I mean, he's a, I think a respected press as far as bizarre, bizarre adjacent um, presses go. And, and, and in this time where I think, you know, there's so few places to um, the, the, um, the press scene is, is far less robust than it was five plus years ago. So, you know, he's, he's important what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. I was a huge supporter of theirs in the, the early years, and it seems like they have just grown in, yeah, stature and prestige and, and so on. Um, but how about you? You're still, for the most part, publishing your own stuff? I am, yeah. I I, I just uh, released Catcoin, a uh, book that uh, came out in February. Again, self-published. Mm-hmm. I just completed a new uh, death book that I will self-publish, but I've, I've promised myself 
um, I said I would write, you know, three books this year. And, you know, Catcoin was the first and, and published Death. The new Death book will be out in the summer, June, July. Um, and then the third book I write for this year, I promised myself I would not. I'm just going to hold it and I am going to submit it around and, and try to work with a publisher. Um, I have, it's, it's not that I, I have any sort of displeasure for working with publishers. I've just always enjoyed the, um, the full control I have over my work and, and my <laughs> income <laughs> earnings from that. You know, I don't have to, uh, Amazon's already the middleman. So I didn't want to add another middleman into that and have to arrange mm -hmm. for books to purchase. And, you know, it just, it just seems so easy to me. Um, I do my due diligence and I, I hire an editor and, and get it looked over and, and try to put out the best thing I can. Um, but I do think it's, it's time to, uh, for me to work with a publisher and, and get a, a different experience, a different look at things, maybe, uh, even, uh, attract a, a different sort of audience than I've grown on myself organically, you know, that, so I am, I'm determined to work with a publisher, uh, you know, at least with one, one book and see how it, see how it all pans out. Mm. Well, nihilism revised, I'm sure would be happy to see something of yours. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I mean, they would, they would definitely be on my list. I do have that list of, uh, of publishers I'd like to work with and, and publish around, you know, I'm not even sure. I just finished writing this, you know, the first draft of this death book. So I have to go through and clean that up and everything. So I'm not exactly sure. I have a few ideas uh, of, of what I'm going to write. It's always the trick too. I, I don't know if you have the same thing, just because we write odd things like Catcoin. I looked at it. I, I, I would have liked to have, have um, maybe shopped it around, but I'm like, who the, who wants a crypto? Like, it's not even bizarre when he, <laughs> I wrote a cryptocurrency book with, with cats, like who's going to take that, you know, type of thing. And maybe, maybe I'm being dumb and, and ignorant by, uh, you know, saying who would take that. <laughs> there might be a lot of, a lot of people, but I was kind of afraid of like, it was something so different. I had such a difficult process time writing that because I was like, I've never written anything like that. I don't know what I'm doing. And I had a hard time even, you know, writing it myself. It was like, who would even want this? Because I don't know what it is <laughs> to try to pitch it to a publisher. So I, I just kind of took it uh, myself and just, I don't throw it out there, see what it does. Cause it's, I don't know what the fuck this is. I, <laughs> you did, uh, you did so much research for it. I did. I did a lot of research for it, but I, I had done, you know, leading up to even writing it. Like I fell in love with this idea of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and I, you know, everything I, I learned about it, I, I, I truly honestly feel like it's it's the money of the future. It's the economy of the future. Um, whether it turns out to be Bitcoin or something else, I think cryptocurrency essentially um, is the money of the future. And um, I enjoy the fact that, you know, world financial banks are scared shitless of it. And they'll tell you it's the devil and stay away from it. And to, in my mind, the more that they uh, revolt against it, the more um, genuinely, um, the more genuinely that it is truly, <laughs> it's threatening to those banks and those people and those, you know, that old money and everybody, all those bankers sitting in there with their, their, you know, oak chairs and their suits and, um, they're threatened by it. So it, it mm -hmm. must be genuinely, um, legitimate form of currency that's going to screw them up because it's decentralized and nobody can control it. It's a giant problem.
that's why it's so at least in the United States, it's it's difficult to to buy it because you know the U.S. still wants to get your their you know tax dollars from you for investing in it, and the whole point of it is that the U.S. is not allowed, or any you know centralized bank is not allowed to. Uh, they have no control over it. It has no no financial backing of any uh, country's currency or economic system. So that's that's the beauty of it. Um, but this is all stuff I learned before I even wrote the book. This is what attracted to me to it. And mm -hmm. I was reading a lot of, uh, reading, watching a lot of just, you know, documentaries and stuff on it. And I, I wonder if anybody's writing this, this, you know, like a fictional book just based around this stuff. It's so interesting. Like it should be prime for books about it. And, um, uh, there was a book that, well, <laughs> It, it sort of all rolls into our conversation about the the, uh, the Bizarro, the Wonderland nominations. There was a book I found. It was called Buying Illegal Bugs with Bitcoin. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's the type of shit I'm looking for. And I bought that book. <laughs> one of my, and turned out to be one, I'm like, holy shit, this is a, a really great book. It should be a Bizarro book because it was really current, really, really crazy. Um, and it, it was like my favorite book I read that year. And it was, you know, not on the, I had, I had George Billions who wrote it on. I had him interviewed him on the podcast, uh, just really polished up his balls. Nice. Cause I loved the book so much. And, um, yeah, I was disappointed when it didn't wind up on the, on the ballot. Um, sort of the catalyst of like, there's a lot of things missing here, including my favorite one, you know, what I would mm -hmm. consider Wonderland book of the year. And it's not even on the nomination list. Um, but yeah, I love that book, but in the end, the book wasn't about Bitcoin. It was more about the illegal bug, you know, and just the, the Bitcoin was the means to buying the illegal bug. So it became just a very tertiary sort of part of the story. Um, and there was another book, sort of a, a, a Disney World fiction story. There's a sort of subgenre of people who write fiction based on like the Magic Kingdom, all the Disney World theme parks and, and, and write stories in them. And um, one of those books, it was called... Um, uh, my kingdom of dust, I think, uh, in which the, the main protagonist basically had been mining Bitcoin and was using it to, to buy his drugs and stuff. It was, you know, he was using Bitcoin to sustain his life because he was living inside of Disney world. So he didn't have a job or anything. So the, the, the writer just made this guy has Bitcoin. So he's kind of independently rich and, and that's why he can live this way inside of the magic kingdom. Mm -hmm. Uh, but again, it was just, a means to an end and not the focus of the story. And I'm like, I really want to read a, a story focused on Bitcoin. And it wasn't there, cryptocurrency. I just, I couldn't find it. So I was like, well, shit, they say you got to write the, the book you want to read. And the book I want to read is not out there. So I guess I need to write a cryptocurrency fiction book. And and that was the the catalyst for me writing CatCoin. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean... It's such a complicated thing and so like bitcoin to me just sounds so dry that i would love to see stories more stories make bitcoin compelling i think that's a great you know thing to do do you think there's more space for you to do that or are you done with bitcoin for the moment uh, i mean for the moment i'm done with it but yeah there's still there's still definitely space i mean just the, the sort of world i created uh in catcoin i can go back to that or I, I likely wouldn't. I would likely tackle it from a, a different angle. I wanted to with Catcoin. I wanted to, I wanted to almost be educational and make make the 
the concept of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin easier for people to wrap their heads around because a lot of people don't really get it, don't understand it at all. And, you know, and, and they'll listen to their, you know, Warren Buffett saying this is the devil and don't invest in it. And they have the wrong idea about what it is. And so I wanted to, to, to present it in a way that people might be able to easily, more easily understand it because Bitcoin is nothing. You can't, you'll never ha hold it in your hand. It doesn't, it's just a digital currency. It doesn't exist anywhere. Um, so I, I went, I took the cats, I made cats money so that, you know, at least having something tangible, something people understand um, and can, you know, everybody knows what a cat is. And then just take the, <laughs> the concept of Bitcoin and just impose it on cats. So, you know, now it's cat coin instead of a Bitcoin and we can kind of understand how cryptocurrency works if you just envision it being a cat and not digital currency. And I base, I mean, in essence, the story is it just piggybacks off of the history of of Bitcoin itself and it just kind of retold with with cats. So it, there's a lot of um, if you're into the, the Bitcoin, everybody knows Bitcoin Pizza Day is celebrated. I, I should know this and I don't. I want to say it's May 22nd. Don't quote me on that. But Bitcoin <laughs> Pizza is, is quote unquote celebrated every year because the first official transaction ever of Bitcoin was used to buy two pizzas in England. And, you know, that's the, you can officially, and it's something like nowadays, those two pizzas, uh, the, the market fluctuates, but like say at Bitcoin's peak of 20,000, it would have been like two, those two pizzas would have cost $40 million, you know, when in essence, I think it was about less than $20 worth of Bitcoin used to, to make that purchase at the time and and those whatever that amount of bitcoin was was now you know when bitcoin was at its peak it was like 40 million dollars so um i i sort of recreated that moment with the cat getting um he gets put out into the world you know from his creator who, who created cat coin uh and he's he's got a hot date and he needs and he burnt the dinner and he had to buy pizza so he quick you know <laughs> quick sells off his cat for pizza. And that was my interpretation of Bitcoin pizza day by selling the cat off for pizza. And then uh, Bitcoin went through, uh, um, there was an outlet called Mount Gox M Mount MT G O X. It was originally a magic, the gathering uh, card exchange. So MT magic, the gathering G O X card online exchange. Um, but they turned because they were centralized, like, you know, global centralized place to buy magic cards. Um, they started taking Bitcoin as, you know, a way just to easily transact money from any denomination. It was easier just to do it with Bitcoin because it's not, you know, non-denominational. Uh, mm -hmm. So because they did that, they wound up becoming at the time, like the, the best place, central place to basically trade your, your currency in for Bitcoin. And they <laughs> moved away from Magic the Gathering cards and just became the place where you can exchange uh, your, your currency for Bitcoin. Um, and they became very popular doing that, and it, but unfortunately too popular because um, it was a Frenchman running the business out of Japan and uh, so much money was coming in. Essentially, he was starting Ponzi scheme thing, and and you know, <laughs> he was spending mm -hmm. more of that money than he was, and and basically got caught. And there's 
tons of Bitcoin that went missing and everything. So I, I did recreate the the Mount Gox thing, and I made it with Mount Cox, C-O-X for cats, um, and created my, instead of Magic the Gathering, it became Meowgic the Gathering, um, and kind of retold. So I, I do that sort of thing. Like, I take the real-life sort of landmark parts of, of the history of, of Bitcoin and just kind of retell them with the cats. And it all it's all done to sort of help educate everybody and better wrap their minds around what the, what the Bitcoin is, what the cryptocurrencies is. Lovely. Well, I've read the book and I think you just convinced me to read it again. <laughs> it's an excellent promo. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it, makes, it makes the history of Bitcoin easy to understand and it's filled with cat puns. Yes. <laughs> who doesn't love those? Right. <laughs> Right, everybody loves cats. That's sort of the. I, I originally, I was there was another story I had in mind of writing. I kind of put some pen to paper with it. It wasn't really working, but it involved a cat. Um, mm -hmm. So when I said this story isn't working, and I and I'm like, I I need to write this 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 Bitcoin this cryptocurrency story. I still had cats on the brain essentially, and that's why I took cats. I could have taken anything, you know. I could have made a banana coin. I could have made a helicopter. Coin. Like I could have done anything, but. It just happened to be I had cats on the brain when I sat down and started. <laughs> but you don't have any cats. I don't. No, I'm actually allergic to cats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, you know, and there is. Um, I don't. I don't remember why the story starts out in Italy. It's just a, a street cat in Italy because I'd been to Italy, and I was always. Uh, so there, Italy is like littered with cats <laughs> in the cities. It's just everywhere. Um, to the to the point where like you can buy like calendars when you're in Italy in the little gift shops like the cats of Italy because they're just everywhere. Um, so I figured that you know it was just kind of like well I know that Italy seems to be littered with cats I'll I'll start the story there you know just take a cat off the street and that that cat becomes the the first uh, cat coin um, and and just sort of made it a globe trotting thing and in the end you know like like I said I didn't know what this I still don't know what this story I'm I'm marketing it as like either techno thriller or action adventure, but, uh, I don't, I don't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> it's not mm. horror. Uh, I, it, I guess it's comedy. I try to, you know, always try to make it funny, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really new thing. It's not, you know, it's certainly not death. It's, it's not brats in hell. It, it's, mm. it's removed from that. The, the kind of monster element was taken away. So yeah, I, I'm still not sure I'm marketing it the right way, but, that's how I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I first started writing, I had a I had a hard time categorizing my like I don't know what the hell I write. I really didn't uh, know. I'm like I know well I know Jeff Strando's comedy, but I really don't write like Jeff Strand. And I know you know Christopher Moore is sort of the big name in horror comedy, and but I don't write like him. So I, I just you know people would say oh yeah like like uh, like Christopher Moore. I'm like yeah yeah like Christopher Moore sure. And <laughs> I would just take those cues from people who would, who checked it out and, and, and took their reactions and, and used those cues to, to market like what I am. Mm -hmm. You, uh, you, you collaborate, like you, you hang out with other writers in real life, right? Mm -hmm, I do. Um, who, who are like your typical go-to people? Um, I my closest writer friends that I interact with the the most are, are Chuck Buddha uh, and Tim Meyer, and that's just 
by virtue of we all live in New Jersey and we're able to to get together often. Um, but I also uh, Armand Rosapilli has been a long time mentor for me, and uh, I mean he lives down in Jacksonville, Florida, but we're always interacting. I've been down to his house. I've been to his wedding. Um, he comes up to New Jersey often because he's originally from New Jersey and we all, um, pal around in person like that. Um, but that's sort of our, my core writing group is, is us four, Armand, Rosamilia, myself, Chuck Buddha and Tim Meyer. And the funny thing was when I started writing and I, I couldn't find, you know, writers to connect with in, you know, to interact with in person. And I'm like, how am I in New Jersey? Like, right. I can see New York skyline from my from my house like i'm i'm in <laughs> northeast of the country and i can't find writer like it was crazy and until i went down to scares at care in williamsburg virginia all of a sudden all these people <laughs> from new jersey were there i'm like oh my god you're from new jersey too you're from new jersey too and you know it was at that convention that we all met one another so i was like it was weird i had to go down to virginia uh, to meet writers from new jersey but from that you know that that time at the for my first time to scares at care um, we, we hooked into one another and we started, um, doing like weekends. We'll, we'll go to a, a coffee shop or something and write together or just go to each other's houses and, and write together. And, uh, you know, now we've collaborated on books and, and do these book signing tours. Um, it's been awesome to, to work with those fellers. Hmm. Um, how often do you go to conventions? Do you have any lined up? Do you go um, to... I had started going to, there's, there's a number of big uh, horror conventions in my area that come through. Um, but I tend to stay away from those because I don't think they're book friendly conventions. I used to, there was a startup one called the New Jersey horror convention. And we went to the very first one, um, and did a subsequent one after that. But what we found was they're very, like most horror conventions tend to be, they're very movie centric and, and it's all about the, you know, it's all about the, the stars that show up. It's all about the, the, the guys who are selling Funko pops. It's all about the guys who are selling like the horror t-shirts selling books is really difficult. Um, basically when you have movie fans showing up, uh, at these conventions, they, they see that book and they turn their head away. Like, I don't want to read books and get, get, you know, they get scared. Yeah. So, and because they're very popular like that and attracting um, big name guests, the, the tables are very expensive. So it's extremely hard to recover your money when you're paying close to $300, if not more for a table for the weekend. So I've shied away from them. Um, but I do love going to scares of care. Scares of care is genuinely, um, very reader centric. It's at least, you know, they do get their, their, uh, movie celebrities in their television celebrities, but, um, Brian Keene runs the, the author track for the convention and, mm -hmm. So it becomes at least 50-50 as far as, you know, moviegoers and uh, and fiction readers. So it does draw a great deal of of readers in and and, and writers at the same. It's, it's a great convention to network at and it's a great convention to sell books at. The only caveat is there's so many writers there and so many readers, but, you know, they're going into the writer celebrity room first. You're going to want to get Jonathan Jans before you pick up Frank Edler, you know, that so there's still a great deal of competition, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. not, it's not a room full of people who don't want to read books. It's, it is a room full of people who want to read books, but there's so many books and, and, you know, getting those, <laughs> getting people's money gets a little difficult when there's bigger names there. 
but I, you know, selling books is not why I go there. For me, I go there to interact with other writers and, you know, I have that core group of friends, but there's a great deal more people that, you know, I just go enjoy seeing there. It's probably the one time of year I get to see a lot of my more, you know, social media friends. Um, mm -hmm. There are, there's uh, several writers in, in Pennsylvania, the adjacent state to me that, that I do get to interact with several times a year too. Um, but, but to get down there, uh, scares of care they they draw writers in from all over the country so it's it's a really great time uh, to interact and network with everybody hmm. um how about BizarroCon? when was the last time you were there you've been a few times I've i'm never, assuming oh i've never i've never been to BizarroCon. really BizarreCon, okay yeah i've never been i mean for me BizarroCon is on the west coast of the u.s so it's a complete flight across the country those mm. flights tend to be extremely expensive. Um, so to travel there for me, it's expensive. Um, also, it's it's usually in November. And by November, I've burned through all my time off from work. So taking off would be difficult to, you know, to manage it, to keep enough days to, to spend a weekend out in Portland. Um, mm -hmm. So th with those two concerns, I never really got out there. And then when it started just getting to the point where, you know, they went through about like three years in a row where there was always some kind of drama that came out of it. It just, you know, I didn't want to spend all that money to go out and get involved with some kind of drama and come back and, and, and you know, I got, you don't want to get screwed into that. So yeah, I shot right away from even wanting to go out there. Um, so yeah. And you know, this past year there wasn't even a bizarre con. So for now, um, uh, as much as I had wanted to go and interact with that scene, um, uh, who knows what's going on with BizarreCon anymore? You know, eventually I would like to get out there, um, but it's just it, right now there's there's very little reason for me to to want to go out and attend that. Hmm. Um. So we talked a bit about Catcoin, but you had another book, Scatterbrain, came out earlier. Did it come out late last year? Yeah, yeah, it came. Well, no, it wasn't even that. I think it was the end of end of 2018 because I went through 2019 ah. with dismal <laughs> release schedule. I, I mean, like when I talk about it, it was hard for me to write Catcoin. Basically, 2019 was me writing Catcoin, struggling through that. You know, there were there were a number of issues, but the biggest thing was just uh, you know it was a very slow going process because because of the constant research for it because of my unsureness about writing the book. So there were a lot of, you know, I, I, I would busy myself with other projects and stuff. So I did a lot of writing that nobody saw in 2019, but I didn't do much of releasing, but at the tail end of, of, uh, 2018, yeah, I came out with uh, scatterbrain mm -hmm. and that's a, uh, a killer brand. I want to write like sort of a B movie type of a fun book. And, and so, you know, I looked out, everybody writing vampires, werewolves, you know, what's the, what's the movie monster nobody tackles? And we always thought of that black and white movie with the brains floating through the air. And it's been a while. I forget the name escapes me. Um, but I'm like, yeah, we need a killer brain story. Like nobody's doing them. <laughs> so that's why I wrote Scatterbrain. Mm -hmm. that, that's awesome. And there's uh, there's killer brain haiku where they always plan to be part of it. <laughs> no, it just, I always like to add a little something, something, something at the end of the book. You know, I don't like just the end and it's over like a yeah. little something. So I had no idea what to do for, um, 
for scatterbrain and i i was i was legitimately just sitting there drinking beer and i was i was all buzzed up and i'm like all right and haiku and so <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of California haiku that i i probably wrote all that hour <laughs> just out there something fun and then i was half in the bag um you also have stories in some anthologies that have come out recently um well in quite a few now right yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, I was, I was busy. I was distracting myself from Catcoin with other things, and so those other things had popped up. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and to your point, you asked me, you know, about conventions, and I, I told you I was shying away from them minus uh, the um, scares of care. But what we do do every year is, as I mentioned, Armand Rosamilia, myself, Chuck Buddha, Tim Meyer, all have been getting together the last few years. Uh, when Armand will come up to New Jersey. I'll spend some time up here and we've put together this sort of little book tour where we go to local breweries and set up a table, put our books out and just sit, stand around drinking a beer. And until people get drunk enough that they want to know what the hell's going on, come over, we talk to them, maybe they buy some books and, and sign them and stuff. So we've, and we do this over like the course of two weeks, we'll visit four or five, six different breweries and, and you know make a tour out of it so uh we've done that to the point where like people were like legitimately coming from different states and stuff to to hang out and be a part of it because we all talked to them I'm like this is great we just drink beer and sell books and everyone's like really and I was like yeah so everybody wants to come check it out and it's kind of become a little tiny little like notorious thing that we do um to the point that last year we're like we should probably collaborate on a book called beers and fears and you know it, it it's a uh, it's a book with all four of us. So you know, when people are shopping, you know, they're like, well, what do you write? You know, they're not sure what, so we have like a token book for them and almost a souvenir book for coming out to one of the signings. So we, we collaborated and wrote um, beers and fears, the haunted brewery. We wanted to, we have to write some beer horror, like people get behind that. And they really did because that book did um, tremendously. And we basically the, the concept behind that was there was like an old, uh, like mental asylum that, it closed down years ago and, and people had subsequently opened up as a, as a brewery and mm-hmm. it's operating as a brewery uh, over the past several decades. And we write it from one story took place in the seventies, another took place in the eighties and one in the nineties. And then uh, wrote sort of like a, a reporter reporting on these, you know, interviewing the the bar owner. And he's telling these stories of like these weird things that happened because this place used to be a, a mental asylum um so that's what we did and 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 put that book out there it did very well on the tour obviously um but we ran some book bub promotion on it and and just the idea of beer horror people really got excited about and we sold a lot of books for that and 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 did very well doing that so what turned out to be a souvenir for people to come out um and drink beer with us turned out to be a pretty popular uh, book and a lot of fun to collaborate on as well and to the tune of we just finished uh, or we're working through now the beers and fears 2 book which we hope to have out god only knows if we're going to be doing but <laughs> year because of the social distancing i i got to imagine at this point it might not happen uh this year but we'll have a, a book out for people <laughs> to enjoy and, and hopefully we can do it again at some point later in the year or, or next year if we have to. Excellent. Um, how about these, uh, don't you have a few stories published? Do you think you'll end up putting them in a collection? You know, um, 
like some of the things you might be referring to is I, I was in there's a zine. I got into some zines doing Bazong. I, I, there was some Ira Rat does Filthy Loot and he does. He's been releasing some zines and also Ben Fitz puts out the uh, rock and roll horror zine, mm-hmm. uh, which which appealed to me. And especially Ben Fitz rock and roll horror zine. I had been writing and putting on my blog these short little stories just about like rock, like the time I hung out with Motley Crue, right? But the story turns out like I we, I was hanging out with Motley Crue. We all got drunk hanging out in their tour bus and like Medusa comes and attacks Nikki Six and like Nikki Six just kills me. Like just quick little fun stories, right? Because I'm all in for like the 80s hair metal stuff. I, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just start writing these. Yeah, the, the time I hung out with Warrant and the giant monster came and they defeated it, you know, <laughs> and I intended, I wanted to just sort of write these quick little things, put them up on my blog, but not really a lot of people read my blog. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw them up there for free. And then once I had enough, I was going to do a book of them, you know, a story collection of them. But they kind of petered, petered out. I lost interest. I did four or five of them. And then I saw Ben Fizz Rock and Roll Horror Magazine. I'm like, oh, these stories would fit in that. So I submitted to him and he was like, oh, yeah, this is great. So I, I got into his different zines with, uh, with a couple of those stories. And then, um, I don't know what else was, Oh, there was a zombie, <laughs> zombie, uh, anthology. I was, I was suckered into, I swore to myself, I'd never write zombie fiction because I read so much of it. Like I'm tired of zombies and I just, <laughs> I don't worry. I did all. And then yet there was this opportunity came up to, I, I need writers for this anthology. So this is Armand Rosamilli basically said, I need you to write a story for this. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't tell him no. So, you know, if there's an opportunity for me to do something, you know, I, what the hell take it. Right. Uh, so, so I did wind up writing a, a zombie story much to my chagrin, but I try to have as much fun with it as possible. I sort of turned it into a, uh, an homage to Joe Lansdale's the drive in, um, but with, with the zombies attacking and I just got through it that way. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, so no plans for an anthology for the moment of your own stuff. Like, uh, sorry, uh, like a collection. That's what I mean. Stores. No, I um, I released uh, my my first thing I released was a short story collection. Just kind of you know here here's my stuff to throw it out there. It's called uh, Scared Silly. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I have one out there, and it's is really early rough work. You know, I'm not going to tell people don't read it, but it is early rough work. Fair warning. Um, but usually anything I write short story wise now, it, it might be specifically for something. Um, I, I do have short stories like laying around. I was in that, uh, breaking bizarro. Was it called that's head press yeah, one? Yeah. yeah. That was a story I just had sitting around. It had originally been accepted for a, a literary magazine that, that went defunct by the time my, my <laughs> piece was to get published. So it was kind of sitting around. Um, and when the Death's Head press call came out, they wanted to do Bizarro, but I know they were looking for like a horror event. And this one, ironically enough, is like a reverse zombie thing. It's sort of like zombies after they're dead in heaven. <laughs> if I do zombies, I'm going to do it completely not straight. You know, I have to have fun with it. So I had that mm-hmm. sitting around and it, it was a good fit for there. And they accepted that. I got that into, um, into the, the breaking Bizarro story. Um, so, but that wasn't something I wrote specific. It was just something uh, laying around. I probably, if I put it all together, I could do a short story collection. 
Um, mm-hmm. I have them sitting around. Um, I just don't know what to do with them. I thought, you know, some I might add to the end of a, you know, like I said, I like to put some extras in at the end of books. So, yeah, uh, you know, maybe throw one back there. I was thinking about doing that with Catcoin, but like I said, Catcoin is so different. It would be weird to add a, a story that really didn't hold thematically with the Catcoin to, you know, add that at the end. So I, I just did a, a my own sort of essay at the end of Catcoin about <laughs> why I did Catcoin. Um, yeah, so there's there's stories around. I, I have an idea. I would love to. I have a concept for a short story collection, um, mm-hmm. uh, but um, I don't think I have the material enough material to do it. And uh, so it, it it's not outside the the realm of possibility to to do that. My biggest thing is like I don't know. Do those sell? <laughs> you know, as as little as my novellas sell what a short story collection sell you know i don't know what the interest level there is it seems like those are less popular than you know novels novellas yes no i think they are for sure um but you seem quite comfy writing something at the novella length and i think that's pretty smart for like you know it is great to have a book of that length as an introduction to a writer um mm-hmm. but i just prefer stuff at that length yeah, yeah, people have been, I, it's just nowadays, they more gravitate to uh, sort of my, the the comfort zone is, is, is a genuinely about, gen, generally about uh, 50,000 words. Cat coin lands like 30,000 words, it's pretty short. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, on, on average, what I, what I write is, yeah, about 50,000 words and uh, Bratz and Hell just goes up to, into 60, so... You know, I don't know. I, I just say novellas because depends on what your definition. It it straddles that line, fifty thousand words. Some people call that novel. Some people call it novella. So yeah, you call no, it. I, you, you pay me and read it. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a good. It's a good philosophy. Yeah. No, well, this was just my last question, but it it was the one that I thought of when we were talking on your podcast as well. As like, do you find it important uh, that your writing responds to technology? We talked a little bit about influencers. Um, well, that it responds to technology, like acknowledges it's out there. Or... Well, in, in the way that you've created a narrative about about Bitcoin in order to make it more easily digestible, do you do you find that that's an important thing to do, or was that just a one off thing for you? Um, it's probably a one off. It was just you know the technology that I wanted to to spotlight. Uh, you know, I I kind of sometimes think it it, it eludes me sometimes, especially. I write these monster books and weird worlds to get away from, you know, people challenging me on things like, you know, my <laughs> reality. So I don't have to, I don't have to have the right gun in things. You know, I can make up a gun, you know, I can make up my world. So you can't challenge me on the facts of, of things. Um, and it, it, sometimes I read books and, and um, you know, it's that thing where like cell phones, you know, cell phones are, are ubiquitous now they're everywhere. And, you know, you can't write like crime stories without, you know, it used to be part of the problem was people were not easily at your fingertips and now they are because cell phones. And, and so you have to acknowledge those technologies that exist around us. And I don't know that I could be cognizant of that sometimes if I were to try to write something in a, in a, in a, you know, in the, in the real world, quote unquote, uh, mm-hmm. to be mindful of, I don't know if I would remember a cell phone in this, you know, and, and kind of screw myself up by not thinking of something 
you know, as as right there in our faces constantly. It's as I'm writing my cell phone's probably next to the computer as I'm writing. Um, but I might forget that caveat of like that won't work because they're soul phones and you could just pick it up and either research that or call somebody, you know. So the technology thing is I, I think because of what I've been writing, I don't always consider it. I mean, I have to consider cat coin now or just bitcoin and when i write things because that could play into into something you know that's a that's a possibility and i'm not always thinking along them levels but if it were focused like cat coin or like um you know influencers and tiktok and and stuff like that like i could probably focus a book on that i had a story idea at one point i was i was like I was almost offended by the the concept of I don't know if you remember these I think they're still a thing but on Amazon you could get these dash buttons and they're mm, uh, don't know they're, like, they're uh, they were they might not even do them anymore but they were these little buttons right uh, they're like an oval button a very physical thing like you could order say you're really into uh Charmin oh yeah yeah I remember yeah yeah like they'd have a Charmin toilet paper dash button and you could put that I guess you would put it in your in the, the closet where you keep your toilet papers, like just handy, you know. And it mm -hmm. was it was Bluetooth connected and everything like that. And whenever you needed more Charmin toilet paper, you just press this button, and it would automatically mm -hmm. put in an order for Charmin toilet paper for you with with Amazon. But I was it seems so absurd to me because they were very product specific that like. What, do I need to put these buttons all over my house because now I'm now I'm out of chicken soup so I have the chicken soup button now I'm out of cat so I have a ketchup button I'm over I need new sneakers I got the sneaker button you know because we can buy mm -hmm. everything on Amazon and they have these product specific Bluetooth buttons these dash buttons they were calling and I was like I almost wrote a book where this guy his whole house he was just overwhelmed by dash buttons all <laughs> over the because it seems so absurd to me. <laughs> And well, luckily that technology that technology didn't really take off because it was stupid. Because um, I was I, I was so close to writing it because I, I was like, if these things take off, like I'm going to be the dash button horror guy. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> and, and luckily, luckily I didn't and I didn't miss that boat. But the, that that idea, I really wanted to write that like, like somebody being overwhelmed by by technology, this stupid technology that just encroached on their life so much that. You know, their house was floor to ceiling buttons for ordering things. And then, you know, they they order so much, their house just, just cramped with stuff they ordered because it's at their fingertips. Just exploring the basis. I mean, it's exploring the way Amazon has, you know, encroached on our lives, essentially. Mm -hmm. Stupid buttons. <laughs> Sounds like it would have been great. Um, I know it would have been great. I still would love to write it, but they, the buttons never took off, so it wouldn't really make much sense, I don't think. How could you write it in a way that, like... I know, you'd have to glom onto something else similar, but I don't know that it, it exists. I'd have to think what if it? What if it was, like, the one guy who thought they were going to take off, so he hoarded them first because he thought they'd be, like, collectibles, like Beanie Babies or something? Yeah, like, I could still write it. Like, they, I, I don't know that the dash buttons are a thing still, yeah. but... Um, yeah, I could still write it and have that one guy who believed in it, and, and but if yeah, I I don't think it would hold interest if, if the thing didn't take off, you know, if people sort yeah, of had them, it would be more interesting. But I don't think it ever really got into people's lives that much. You so, could do like you could you could do like an alternate history one where 
dash buttons did take off and they took over and then it's like Ray Bradbury style, the last guy on earth just clicking these buttons hoping that his <laughs> toilet paper shows up or something. Yeah, I mean, this feels like a great idea. I, I don't want to let it go. I just yeah. don't know that it would. I'm sure there's something the right. there. Yeah, there might be something. Yeah. Maybe somebody who's, who, what if what if it's a person who, 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 who just can't stop doing TikTok? Like their whole life is taken over by doing TikTok <laughs> productions 10 seconds at a time. And, and then they just, that's their whole life. I don't know how that would work. There was there was this performance artist guy who I think for like a whole year would punch into a time clock like every hour. Yeah. Um, maybe <laughs> it would be that. You have to do a TikTok every hour or something to appease the TikTok gods. Well, you have to do the, my kids are forever just like stopping and doing these dances, you know? <laughs> just as they're walking up the steps and they, they get to the top of the stairs and they you know go into whatever these Fortnite dances are, whatever they're doing. You know, <laughs> these little dance moves, and then it just becomes like a tick. <laughs> the whole world is TikTok dancing or something. I don't know. Something like that. No, I'm I'm mesmerized by it. Sometimes I watch these compilations on YouTube, and I'm just like, who on earth? Just watching them, and I want to ask them, like, who on earth did you think wanted to see this? This is bizarre. Nobody wants to see you do this. Like, but apparently people do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it is amazing. Isn't the... Uh, isn't the bathwater girl the girl that was selling like five dollar jars of her bathwater? Wasn't she a TikTok? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, wow, <laughs> something like that. Just insane. Um, right. so we might have beers and fears too. Is there anything else forthcoming that we need to know about? Uh, like I said, I just I just completed the the first draft of the the new death book, tentatively titled "A Death in Toledo." Um, so it's not okay. I have. A, death gets a book this is not really death gets a book too it's a completely different grim reaper a completely different story um but it's just you know another uh a book or another story in that world of of grim reapers that have created um and then beyond that yeah there will be beers and fears too out in the summer as well and like i said the third story i'm i'm gonna start writing this year uh will be held for public you know to shop around to a publisher so I doubt that would, you know, see the light of day this year, but, um, but beyond that, yeah, I'm whatever I write next is, is going to be shopped around. So you likely wouldn't see it until next year or beyond. Cool. Well, best of luck with it all. Great chatting to you for so long. <laughs> yeah. It's always, it's always a treat to talk to you, man. I, I, I genuinely love your podcast and everything. So it's a, it's really fun for me to come on and be a part of it as well. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we'll 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 keep in touch, like always. Definitely, we will. I love doing these 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 back and forth, the Bazong and and losing the plot podcast crossover shows. Always crossover is spectacular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely, generally fun. So I hope everybody else has as much fun uh, listening as we've had talking to one another here for uh, what seventeen hours. <laughs> it only felt like five. <laughs> really did it's yeah. it the time does fly and uh and hey in this in this time of worldwide social distancing uh maybe we've we've uh helped people like you know erase five hours of their lives as well yeah yeah i hope so okay so that was frank edler author of catcoin scatterbrain and uh, many other works more stuff to come if you uh have anything you want to tell me 
about the podcast, you can always get in touch with me using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. But that's all from me for now. So until next time, bye-bye.